Oh, I, I did miss that verse. Ah, nuts. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to Topics in Faith, part of the In Faith series of podcasts. I'm your host, Daniel Dynek, and this week we're talking about denominations and non, and how sometimes the best thing for Christianity can also be the worst, as we seek to bear the image of Christ into the world, not just on our own, but as a body. Let's start the walk. So to introduce this episode, what I want to say right out of the gate is that this is not intended to be a denunciation of a particular denomination or even really denominations in general, but as a sort of closer inspection into some some things that I see happening and some attitudes that are cropping up that are not healthy. And what it seems to me is kind of at the root of all this and some things that we need to think about and bear in mind as we as we go through life in our walk with Christ, in our walks with one another, and you know, being out there in the world and things like that. So it's something that it's difficult to say that there's one way. Well, and we'll get into all that. So, but I wanted to start off with this to sort of ease into this idea is that that sometimes what seems to be the best thing to happen for Christianity kind of becomes the worst. And this is an idea that I think bears a lot of different fruits in different ways. So it's it's an idea that we'll probably return to uh, more than once over the next couple episodes and even you know throughout the life of this podcast even maybe. But looking at the, first of all, the idea of the first kind of major historical event in Christianity was when the Emperor Constantine announced Christianity as the national religion. And it seemed like a really great thing because it ended kind of a centuries-long persecution against the church, where Christianity had been sort of this pocket, out-of-the-way sect at that point, or even could be considered a cult by many, many standards to that point. All of a sudden, he has a dream that he should conquer under the symbol of Christ, and so he brings it out of the darkness, suddenly makes Christianity okay and even expected. And so it seems like it could be this really great thing. As I said, all this persecution that had gone on for so long, as much as the church had to hide, suddenly didn't have to do that. And people who had been oppressed and ostracized and all these things suddenly were not. So it seemed like perhaps a really great thing. But what began to happen, as we see through much of the rest of history, is the secularization of Christianity where in order to convert as many people as possible to Christianity, we started allowing all sorts of other practices, which, you know, again, kind of in and of itself isn't necessarily the worst thing. But now, centuries later, millennia later, here we are, and suddenly we have interwoven all these things into Christianity that don't necessarily belong there. And we think that it is symbols of Christianity when in fact it really truly wasn't in the beginning. And so so that was one kind of thing that, that stuck out to me in history. The second one, and I don't want to get in trouble for this, but when Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the church, it seemed like a really great thing because at the time, Christianity 
in the hands of at that point, kind of the Roman Catholic church had gone down a very, very dark and heretical road. I think there are very few people that would argue that at that point, what was going on was not good things. Now, how it was handled, there can, you know, potentially a lot of disagreement on, uh, the continued existence of the, the Catholic church, obviously a lot of disagreement there, but that's kind of not the point to me. The, the problem that happened. So again, a situation where it seemed like it was a really great thing because all of this heresy had been going on and true faith was, you know, potentially kind of harder to find. And so here he comes along and sort of sets Christianity free from the constraints of the Roman Catholic church. And so it seems like this is a great thing. Now, all of a sudden we can kind of reset and go back to scripture and really kind of reiterate some things that had been truths for a long time that had been subverted or had been kind of taken over by an organization that at that point had become so power filled that many, many bad things were happening. So it seems like, again, a really great thing that happened, but, and this is my own interpretation of events, what it led to eventually, not right away, but what we have seen kind of crop up because of that sort of fracturing at that point of the church was that all of a sudden, now we're at a point where anyone can kind of interpret the Bible the way they choose. And there is no sort of centralized process of, you know, how do we think about these scriptures and certain passages that might be difficult to interpret or to apply to situations that has been so badly fragmented since that point that it's almost worse than it was before. And so that's what we're kind of talking about today is looking at these sort of things. And it's something that we've come to kind of expect and maybe take for granted, at least here in the United States, that we have all these different denominational churches all over the place. And now we have the non-denominational churches, which in my relatively limited experience of non-denominational churches, they do all seem very similar in nature. So even the non-denominational feels like kind of a, a denomination. But then when we go back into scripture, there can be some verses that might trouble us in the face of all that. And that's what we're going to look at today is where we're going to start. And it came to me when I was reading 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 13. And Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? And when I read that, what immediately jumps to mind is sometimes when they don't ask it in those words, but people will essentially ask, oh, do you follow Luther or do you follow Calvin or do you follow... XYZ, you know, whoever it is, the pastor of our current church, do you follow him? And it's like, I follow Christ or I try to, <laughs> you know? And so it's, so that's when it, it kind of started sticking out to me is like, what is going on in my own mind? And this was, this has been going on over the past several years. I started asking these questions of are denominations essentially against scripture? Have we, you know, gone so far away from it 
that even this, you know, three verses, we suddenly like kind of just ignore that brush it away because, well, but we need denominations because some of them don't believe the way that, you know, they should. And so we have to come up with a whole new denomination that does church in a, in its own way and has its own doctrines that it adheres to so that people can see what, what a true Christian is like. Anyway, so it was a big, long, dark road. And as I said at the beginning, this is not, it did not turn out to be a denunciation of denominations. I did not eventually come to a point where I said, yes, all denominations are evil. We should have one unified church with one head and so on other than Christ. So what, what instead can we do with this series of verses when we think of this idea of, well, who do you follow? Do you follow the Anglicans? Do you follow the Baptists? Do you follow the SBC, whatever it is, PCA, PCUSA? Like I said, I'm going to get myself in trouble here, but I'm going to try not to. It came down for me to this, that in almost all denominations, there can be unhealth and there can be health. So let's look at some of the unhealthy attitudes that can develop because of this existence of denominations within the church. What can happen is that we start to use them as a basis for the judgment of salvation. That if I am within my denomination and I believe it has the true doctrine and the the true interpretation of scripture and others do not, it can lead me to think, well, if they're not part of my denomination, then they must not be saved. They must not be true Christians because they don't believe the same things I believe. The response to this idea that outsiders don't have a correct theology or perhaps they're not true Christians or if they don't believe exactly the way I do, they must be rejected because they're not truly saved. The response is this. Romans chapter 14, verse 3 through 4 says, The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. It can also lead to exclusivity, that one must be confirmed in some way, shape, or form into that denomination, and that person is then rejected by the denomination, cast out, if those vows are renounced either implicitly or explicitly. As soon as you stop following the rules that they have set out, then you are excommunicated and again can lead to this idea that, well, if you're not part of the denomination, you are unsaved. Those are two incredibly unhealthy attitudes that can come out of this idea. And we have to ask ourselves, so let's go through some of these things, some of these claims that can sort of happen. The first one is that, well, you must not be a true Christian if you don't believe X, Y, or Z. And what is true salvation? What does it mean? When when do you receive salvation? What does it look like? Here's what I find in scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 through 15 says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day, capital D, day, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. So, what we see in these four verses here, what this is saying, I guess it's five, the foundation is Jesus Christ. That is the only thing 
required to be in place, according to verse 15, is the foundation of Jesus Christ. Whatever you build on top of that is your doctrines, is your interpretations of scriptures, the way you live your life, the way you either do or do not obey God. Beyond that, it's again, we've, we've talked about multiple times now, each must be fully convinced in their own mind. Whatever you do, do it convinced that you're doing it for God. That is you building your structure on top of the foundation of Christ. We don't know, neither the person building nor anyone watching from the outside will know for certain what will burn up and what will not. Because again, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. But if we're each convinced in our own mind, if it is from faith, we have the other verse, the mature Christian should not look down on the, the young Christian and the young Christian should not judge the older Christian for what they do or do not do, what they engage in, what they don't engage in. It's not up to us in many ways to decide that for other people. We must decide for ourselves as long as the foundation is Christ. For as we see in verse 15, if it is burned up, if what has been built is burned by the, the fire on the last day, the builder will suffer loss. Okay, it's not going to be a great thing to see the works that we did while on this earth burned up because it was not truly for God or for Christ that we did it, but yet will be saved. So your salvation is not dependent on what you build on the foundation. Your salvation is dependent entirely on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Everything else is is extraneous. It's it's what your reward will be based off of. Jesus talks about that. I'm pretty sure Paul talks about that, that there is a reward waiting for us and we will each receive a different reward for what we've done. So to try to say someone is a true Christian only if they believe this point of scripture is false. They are a true Christian if they have the foundation of Jesus Christ. And what is that foundation more specifically? We see it later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 2 through 5. By this gospel, you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Here it is, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Period. That is the foundation. If you have that as the foundation, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, he was buried and he was raised on the third day, and then he appeared to those still alive, you will be saved. That's that's as clear as the Bible makes it for me anyway. There's other verses we could look at. Whoever calls the name of the Lord will be saved. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's really simple. We overcomplicate it with these ideas that, well, because then we try to add on to it, right? We say, well, if you really truly believe that, then you wouldn't do this. Untrue. Absolutely untrue. It does not say that. I won't say categorically because I haven't looked recently to see, but there are things that are sins regardless. Okay. I'm not saying that there are things that you just cannot engage in that is not automatically choosing your will over God's. Okay. That's, that's there and that's fine, but it is between the person and God when he brings that sin to them to say, okay, it's time to work on this. It's time to free your flesh You've been set free from sins, as we've talked about, but we don't necessarily know what those sins are. As soon as God brings it, or script, either through scripture or through prayer or whatever it is, as soon as he puts in our hearts, okay, now is the time we're going to start working on this. 
It is that person's responsibility to work on that or not. And they will be judged by God whether or not they work on that, not by the rest of us. For God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? So that's the foundation that saves us. If you have that foundation, that's it. You're saved. You're a Christian. Nothing else. Here's an idea of health, of a way to try to understand how denominations could work in a healthy way. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 14. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Probably a familiar verse if you've been around churches for any length of time. I think if you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, we've, we've talked about this in a couple different ways. But this idea, you can run the analogy for kind of a long way. We did in the one episode where, yes, it's one body. It's one, one strand of DNA. I mean, there's many, many strains of DNA, but body that is Daniel Didek. It's one body, but it has many, many parts. They look different. They act differently. In the episode previously, we even talked about the fact that in order to eat food, the muscles in your upper arm need to pull in two opposite directions and cause your hand to move in two completely opposite ways in order for the body to feed itself. And to think about that, that from the muscle's point of view, the bicep says, I'm trying to pull the arm this way. The tricep keeps pulling the arm that way. What the heck is going on? We're working against each other here. But... <laughs> In order to feed the body, they have to work against each other. So what I want to do with this, this time more specifically, is that this idea of the body, because I think in that episode, we applied it mostly to a, an individual church and how the members in that church, how they interact with one another. But it does not just mean the local church body, the, the exact building and congregation that you are a part of or that I am a part of, but it, it can apply to all of Christians in the entire world. I want to talk about this idea of a spectrum from mystic to rationalist that I'm not entirely sure where it came from. I, I did a little bit of research into it to kind of to make sure I wasn't saying anything completely out of the vein. But the the basic idea is that on the mystical end of the spectrum, there is more emphasis on the emotional and spiritual interaction between a believer and Christ, especially the spiritual things. The mystics tend to be much more attuned to the Holy Spirit and spiritual warfare that is happening in the earth, where the the rationalist end of the spectrum is much more logical and kind of less, can be less emotional because of that, because it is more of a sort of logical exercise to study the scriptures and and find the connections and the interpretations and study the original languages and do all this this sort of mental work to come to know Christ more. We'll get more into that later. And so in researching that idea of that spectrum, because I knew it existed, I couldn't remember the names of, of the two ends. So I was looking into that. And one of the things that came up was a sort of middle ground, supposedly, of divine revelation. And divine revelation in that sense can kind of use either extreme of the of that spectrum or potentially even both to, to compare the two, the spiritual and the logical, and come up with sort of a, a combination of both. 
when we take that idea and apply it to the analogy of the church being a body, we could understand that this idea of divine revelation will work in whichever way that part of the body apprehends. So again, running with the analogy of the body. If there is a fire, let's say it's a campfire, so it's nothing scary. The different parts of your body can all apprehend that the fire is there. How they do it is very, very different. So the eye can see the flames. The nose might be able to smell smoke. The ears could hear crackling flames. And the skin, you know, hands, the feet, if, they're, you know, if you have your shoes kicked off, can feel heat from the fire. So four very, very different ways of apprehending fire. The, the hands cannot see the fire. If you close your eyes and move your hands towards it, the only reason you'll know you're approaching the fire is because you'll start to feel the heat. The eyes at some point will be able to feel the fire, but by and large, your eyeballs themselves actually don't really have those sort of sensations, at least not as sensitive as your hands do. So they will see a fire long before they can feel the heat, long before. Denominations then, if we can think about it this way, can be an outgrowth of our own approach to knowing God. And each denomination has its kind of poster people or poster person. Could be Luther for the Lutherans, Calvins for the Calvinists. You know, each one, there was someone who started the movement, either started the denomination or started what became that denomination. And they did it because they apprehended God in a way that spoke to people. That for a large or small number of people, when they heard this person preaching about God or teaching about God, they said, that makes sense to me. I am able also to apprehend God better than I did before because of the way that this denomination approaches knowing God. Some of them do it very dogmatically. Some of them do it very kind of emotionally, free-spiritedly, we might say, very loosely. And as such, each denomination will also lend itself more readily to heresies, to certain heresies, than to other denominations by virtue of that particular approach to knowing God. Denominations that are more rationalistic will tend to give special note to sensual sins because rejecting emotion is the highest form of worship in that sort of vein. The idea that emotions are evil, they're never to be trusted, they only ever lead you astray, and what you must do is only lean on the intellect that God has given you can be heretical. It can say that certain things are sins that are not actually sins. Mystic denominations will tend to vilify legalistic approaches. Tend to. Again, it's not across the board. This isn't you know categorical. But it may look with distrust on approaching God in a very dogmatic sort of way or a very sort of process-oriented kind of way where we do this and then we do this and then we do this and then we do this and you never do this and you, then you do this. That sort of structure to the mystic, potentially, again, there's outliers to all of these, but for people who have a more sort of spiritual, emotional, sensual approach to knowing God are not going to want to be constrained by, you must do this and then this and then this. And then divine revelational denominations will end up vilifying dogmatic approaches. A similar thing where I say, this is the only way to know God. This is the only way to to worship in spirit and in truth is through this way. They'll say, no, that's heretical. But for some people, that works. It's again, it's that idea that we talked about of apprehending a fire. 
to try to expect an eye to apprehend a fire the same way that the hand or the nose does is folly. It's a silly thing to expect and vice versa. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you because I can see the fire because sometimes heat isn't visible and you can still burn your eyeball out if all you're trying to do is see a flame. So in the end, what we come back to is don't judge. As long as the foundation is the gospel that Jesus died for our sins, he was buried, he was raised from the dead, and he appeared to people who were still living, they will be saved. Whatever house they build after that, however they go about apprehending God and communicating with him, is between them and God. Next week should be a pretty fun episode because we're going to go through, I think at first it was 47 verses. It has reduced in number since then to a degree, but it's, it's going to be one of our episodes where we pick the topic and we go verse by verse by verse by verse and make comments as we go. And we get to go through a whole bunch of scripture, Old and New Testament. And what we're going to be looking at is what is it that God desires? It's going to be super fun. Hope you'll tune in. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can go to ko-fi, that's ko-fi.com slash Daniel Didek. There's also a link in the show notes where you can go and make a donation. Everything we receive there will go straight back into the podcast, either funding the subscription to the server where the episodes will be stored live forever or in upgrading equipment. One of the things we want to do eventually is move into an actual soundproof studio, so you'll be able to help by donating through that Ko-Fi page. If you want to support me more generally, you can buy my books. Links are available on my website, danieldidek.com. And as always, non-financial ways to support are to spread the word about this podcast to your friends and followers. If you've read my books, you can leave reviews and, of course, subscribing to the podcast and listening to each episode sure encourages me. And thank you. Until then, keep the faith and keep it fresh.